It is Locked on Jazz for the 14th of November. 14th of November. Embiid's utter dominance, but it was an offensive fail that actually caused the Jazz a loss. They've lost two in a row. Some issues are beginning to percolate, but some development is still taking place. We're touching on it all. Coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. I hope you had a fabulous weekend, enjoyed yourself. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free, available on all podcasting apps, available on YouTube. Please hit subscribe and the little bell, Liberty Bell button that lets you uh, be notified anytime we go live with a show. Super appreciate it. Uh, today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. All right, so let's start with Embiid. Jazz have lost two in a row. We'll we'll get to that, and we'll we'll really focus mostly on the Philly game. Um, Here's the thing about last night. And Embiid's amazing. But the Jazz lost last night because of their offense. We can sit here and have an entire conversation about should have we double team? Should have they done this? Should have they done that? The Jazz effective field goal percentage last game was 45%, which was in the eighth percentile of all offensive shooting games. They turned it over 19% of the time, which is in the 17th percentile, and they didn't go to the free throw line at all. The Jazz had their single worst offensive rating of any game all season yesterday. So, so the reason the Jazz lost yesterday, despite Joel Embiid's historic performance, I mean historic, there's been 194 players in the history of the game that ever scored 55 or more, he scored 59. Of those players who scored 55, zero have ever done it with seven blocks, 14 have ever done it with eight or more assists, and nine of them have ever done it on 28 or more field goals, not to mention doing it all at once. I've been in the league for 30 years. Other than Michael in the playoffs, the kind of just quick run through after the game. And I, I, I regret having not kept tabs. Like I saw Ray drop a massive night, Ray Allen. Uh, I saw Carl do some amazing things. Um, I saw Kobe, called Kobe's final game. Um, but other than Ma- Michael in the NBA finals, when he just simply was willing his team to victories, that's the most dominating performance on both sides of the floor that I've ever seen in person in my life. Because those defense, those offensive numbers are as much because of Joel Embiid as anything else last night. Embiid's fourth quarter defensive performance might be as good as fourth quarter offensive performance. It's it's like, it's a little bit of like, a, just choose whichever you want. But six block shots in a quarter is really... Kind of hard to even contemplate. Last night, Embiid played 38 minutes. He was plus 25. In the 10 minutes that he sat on the bench, they were minus 17. 
It's incredible. So, you know, there are guys in this league, there's about five or six of them, who just simply can take over a game. And, and that's what we saw last night. Um, I, I think we might have seen a tired Jazz team, too. I mean, there is a point here. I was talking to Lowry about this in the locker room. Like, the Jazz have the bad schedule. Like, this, this happens. Somebody has to have the bad schedule in the NBA. Um, a few teams have to have it. And the Jazz have it. Like, this, not, like, we're not making, Jazz didn't have it last year. Jazz were good last year. They didn't have the bad schedule. But we have the bad schedule this year. And it's showing right now. Uh, tonight will be the first night at home without a game since October 30th. The two games between Memphis. We've not played back-to-back home games all season. Other than the two games against Memphis. So we've not had... And by the way, that's worth noting that was coming off of back-to-back. So, you know, there's a level of fatigue here that I do think the Jazz are maybe more prone to than some other teams, too. And what I mean by that is that we don't have the Joel Embiid. Like, everybody else got the night off last night, right? But we don't have that guy. For us to play well, Mike Conley's got to be superhuman every night, and he has been really pretty terrific. But the Jazz have played 15 games in the Western Conference. Minnesota has played 14. Everybody else has played 13. It's a big difference. On the Western Conference, we've played 10 road games. Portland and Denver's played nine. Portland's played eight. Dallas, uh, Memphis and New Orleans have played eight as well. That'll all come back, right? Houston, bad schedule, have played an absurd 11 of their first 13 games on the road. It happens. So, I do think there's some level of offensive fatigue. There was also just bad spacing, bad decision-making, driving in and allowing Embiid to completely dominate. And then Embiid was dominant. Embiid was equally as dominant on the defensive end as he was on the offensive end and forced the Jazz into 18 floaters last night. And the Jazz hit four of them. I'm mystified by something that's happened in the NBA, by the way. And I'm not saying... I'm an analytic guy. I actually had a great conversation with Will yesterday about just kind of the... There's a vibe and an energy to the league that you have to have and you just can't play by the numbers all the time. They matter. They're important. I 100% agree with him. Like, 100% agree with him. But I'm a little lost and when the floater became a good shot in this league. Not just the Jazz. Like, it seems as though, like, it's just become generally accepted that we're not taking long twos in this league anymore, but we are totally willing to take the floater. No one makes it. The league average is 42% on the floater right now. The league average on the long two is 42%. So let's just bring that back too. Now, some of it is the league's super long. Small guards get in the lane. You'd play drop coverage, pick and roll, and, there's, and they're hugging the shooters, and there's nowhere to go with your basketball unless you, unless you nash dribble, which probably is what, you, what more guys should do. But I don't know if this is true, but watching the NBA, it just feels as though right now, as though 21% of all shots right now, according to Clean the Glass, are floaters. And it feels like that's just become all right. Like, that's a lot. 
Um, maybe not. Maybe it's, maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels like that, and it's interesting. But we were four of eighteen on that shot last night. I, I, a little bit, a little bit of me cringes inside every time we take that shot. Um, a little bit of me cringes every time anybody in the league takes that shot. I don't think it's up a great deal. I think, I think, and it might be defenses. Right, we're taking away the three and. We're hugging and we protect the rim. Protecting the rim has become a bigger deal than ever. Like, it could be demons. I, I think it, I honestly think it's probably, if we look back, it's at 22% or whatever I just said right now, 21, 22%. I'm going to guess if you go back about five years, it was at, you know, 18, 19%. So it's it's a 3% uptick. That's that's actually considerable. It's two or three shots a night. But it's not like, I don't think we've gone from like 12% to 20%. I think we've gone from like, my guess is we've gone from 18% to 21, 22%, which is like, Either offenses are deciding it's okay, or it's it's defenses have forced it. But that's just an aside. Like, it's not actually a better shot. By the way, the floater in the paint is not a better shot than a long two. They're both the exact same. They're both 40%, 40% shots, which is 0.8 points per shot, which is not good. Um, so, so, side note. Side, I, I got myself surprising on no sleep. I've got myself distracted. Someone always asked me um, on the sleep issue about the NBA. And I always say, it's the greatest gig in the whole world. The only thing is it disrupts your sleep pattern. And from the beginning of the game to the end of the season, they're like, well, how much do you get? And I was like, well, on some nights you get the NBA 7. And they're like, what's the NBA 7? I'm like, two on the plane, four in your bed, and an hour nap later. Today is an NBA 7. Two in the plane, two on the plane, four and a half hour flight last night. Two on the plane, four in the bed, an hour nap later. And then Dave Fox is shooting it. All right, um... Let's go back to uh, Embiid last night. I mean, it was really, it was pretty awesome. 26 of 27 points in the fourth quarter, the six blocks. Here's what's super interesting to me about the night. Kelly Olenek did really well against him last year. Olenek was, Embiid only shot four of 11 last year when Embiid was guarding him. Or Embiid only shot four of 11 when Olenek was guarding him. In the first quarter, the Jazz actually did a really, really good job on Embiid. Like, if you go back to the first quarter, he's not in rhythm and he's not rolling. He's four of nine in the quarter. His nine shots in that quarter are not like great. Him playing so well is it? And, uh, Olenek is bothering him. He's he starts tonight. I think two of six on Olenek. Then Walker comes in and he goes four of seven. But it's an interesting kind of how a just game being goes out there. He has been stricken with injuries throughout the on that you know his first shot of the night's a tough like free throw line step back J. Then Linux like, okay, like if you want to take that, you can. They come in transition on the next one. He gets it on the right wing and launches a three, which he's not shooting well, and he misses. He was one of five last nine threes. He's been really, really bad on that. He came out aggressive. Then the next time he gets it, he's at the elbow. He wants a shot. Linux won't give it to him. He gets reset. He takes an awkward like right-hand runner and misses like the defense. Linux playing positional defense on him, not letting him get in, getting by him, playing really well at the rim. He airballs a layup on the one after that. Like Linux is bothering him. And then he, you know, it's like he then caught fire. Jazz are doing what they call smoke and kind of altering his little way. But he, you know, he gets a post up where Conley kind of dodges him. The Jazz doubles were not very good last night. Uh, and the one thing on the doubles is Embiid wants to play at the top of the key. And so he's going to do everything isolation right from the top of the key. And what, when you space both sides out of the top of the key, I hear a bunch of people, you know, obviously a bunch of people, oh, we should double, we should double. Like from where and how and with whom? So when Embiid gets at the top of the key and he's going ISO and they have each corner filled and then they have each high quadrant filled, and that's the set, Conley, Sexton, Beasley, or Clarkson are the guys up top that are closest to double, and they've got a long way to go, and they're small, and they don't bother Embiid. 
What really happens is Embiid then goes up against Walker Kessler and just starts getting rolling. Like he just drives, he sees him and it's like fresh meat. And no offense, I'm not fine. Like no offense to Walker. He literally just comes straight downhill on him on three straight possessions. He pulls up for a 15-footer on one of them. He drives by, pump fakes him into Baltimore on another one. And then isolates on the left wing on another and takes, you know, tries to take a step back three and actually airballs him. But he just like, he's lit up and excited at the end of the quarter for that. So I think that's what got him going. The Jazz kind of had wanted their, their plan on him all night going in was to actually try to have a Linux and marketing guard him to wa- spread out the floor. And what gets interesting ab- about that in trying to spread out the floor is that you can't spread out the floor when you have Vando on the floor. And we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. And Vando became important to trying to help out with everything else because the Jazz offensive rebounding was keeping them in the game last night. But Embiid was really, really great. He was just, he was great. I, you know, I look at these two losses. Washington makes some shots. And Washington's good, by the way. I, I actually, two teams, I'll just throw this out there. I'm, I'm almost scared to tweet it because he'll come back at me. I don't really actually care that much on those things. Um, I'm just kind of kidding. But actually, two teams I've seen recently that I think are a lot better than anybody realizes are Washington and Sacramento. I'm kind of in on Sacramento right now. I think Mike Brown's figured something out over there, like how to not use De'Aaron Fox all the time. Um, and at least that's my thought. By the way, when when B gets rolling in the second quarter, he, he just kind of does it in an array of different things. Like he starts at 16 feet, he hits a three-footer, he hits a 13-footer, he gets a rolling layup, and he hits a 26-footer. And like he just starts rolling. He, by the way, only makes one basket all night on the right side of the floor. He just lives at the free throw line, getting to the left side, and it's it's really unstoppable. Uh, all right, we'll talk about some of the offensive issues that we had last night, and there are some red flags that are popping up uh, that, you know, this team's not perfect. It's won a lot of games. It's playing really hard. It's super fun. Um, and it was never made to be a perfect whole entity, and some of those red flags are showing up right now, and they're going to be a challenge coming forward, so we'll talk about that. And then we're also seeing some great player development, exactly as we'd hoped to this season. It's really interesting and something... Watching Kyle Kuzma kind of tip me off to uh, this week I want to talk about. So that's all coming up on today's show. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also in Logan. The Chevy lineup of trucks, it's unprecedented. It's the Silverado, it's the Colorado, and it's just the best. Uh, the Chevy truck is made, you know, American strong and better than uh, the other trucks out on the market. And right now in the season of giving, you $5,000 off on a Silverado 2.7 half ton uh, 1500 You also get all sorts of other great deals over at Murdoch right now, plus you get the pre-approved, uh, all the Murdoch guarantees that you get in uh, things to make sure that you have that. 80-plus years in Utah, a part of the Utah culture. Chevy's a part of Americana. It's a great, perfect combination. It's located in Woods Cross. It's also in Logan for you if you want to jump out there. So if you're going to either one of those, please feel free to let me know. And we will make sure that we take care of you at either of those two locations and give you the VIP experience. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at LinkedIn. LinkedIn, where you can get applicants you need for free by posting your job for free at linkedin.com slash NBA. This one is pretty important right now because the job market is a little funky for a lot of people. And you can check out LinkedIn Jobs and help find people right now, your team, Faster and for free. It's why small small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs the number one in delivering quality hires for leading competitors. I run a small business. I might as well just stop everything I'm doing when I'm hiring. Like I just, well, you get in the hiring process. I, I I don't have time to do anything else for lockdown other than hire. 
So this is where LinkedIn becomes amazing. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who and you'd like to, like to interview and hire. It's small businesses rate LinkedIn number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MBA. That's linkedin.com slash MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply it is locked on jazz today thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of the program we are free and available for you on all platforms and here every single day i'm david Locke, radio voice of the utah jazz jazz nba insider super great to chat with you uh speaking of nba insider i will uh we will continue kind of our review of close games i'm loving doing it it takes time so i don't want to promise it all the time but i love watching the final like seven i'm actually pushed it back to nine minutes because as a play-by-play announcer, it's super um, important for me to watch the rotations as they come into the final five minutes and know what's going on. So if you haven't joined us for any of the past shows, I'm now watching every close game in the NBA, and then we're, I'm sharing it with you in the third, last segment of the show every night kind of as an analysis. It's pretty interesting to watch. Um, Cleveland's thrown three of them away here, really played badly late. Sacramento may have discovered something late. We've seen that. Uh, Willie Green of the Pelicans runs fabulous stuff, fabulous stuff. So we'll keep an eye on that. So I'm going to, I'll watch a few more today. I'm behind on a few, so you'll get some that are kind of backed up. Um, and then we will, uh, but I'll keep doing this as much as I can because I really, I'm fine. I find it super enjoyable. Um, it's one of the most fun things. I was having lunch with Doris Burke yesterday and uh, was talking to her about how much, like, this is just like the newest thing I'm doing. And I just love it more than anything. And it's been um, a great way to see the NBA and how brilliant the coaches are and all they're doing. Um, so that, all right. So we talked about the, the, the failures of the jazz offensively last night. Cause that's really what, as much as Embiid's the headline, that's truly, um, why the last time and it's the guard line and it's, this is not an unfamiliar story to us. We've, we heard this when we, the last few years, it was Philadelphia without James Harden has been in the five, four or five games in which probably now in the five games without Harden, I would guess they're the number one defensive team in the league after last night. They were the, they were coming in, and what really Embiid's dominance was last night is that in the four games without Harden, they ranked 29th offensively, and they ranked number two defensively. We were talking about this a lot on the radio broadcast last night, if you tuned in. That's why you should. You get interesting little information. So, and that's still true. They're 3-2, and two and they're 29th in the league um, offensively. They're number one in the league defensively without Harden in the last five games. And it's because they're playing Tyrese Maxey, and they're starting... Maurice Thibel, and then Shake Milton and DeAnthony Melton, that was easy last night, um, come into the game, and that's what stymied the Jazz last night. The Jazz half-court offense last night was .75 points per possession. That's by far the worst of the season. It's in the third percentile. It's one of the worst by any team all year long. What kept us alive, and this is a great sign, was our offensive rebounding came back. We, we got 50% of our misses last night on offensive rebounds. Um, but... Four of 18, as I mentioned, in the floater zone, um, and then didn't shoot the threes great. Six of 20, 34 at the rim, which is only 59%, which isn't great, um, but that's because of Embiid. But you really saw both Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley get a bit flustered last night. And um, Clarkson, I thought, got flustered against Washington, too. Like, this is a big ask on Jordan Clarkson right now and needs to be respected. Like, he is the primary offensive ball handler against first-team defensive players. That's very different than being the sixth man. There, there is, it, 
you know, maybe Thurl would disagree with me, but there is a difference between coming off the bench and often being guarded by guys that aren't the primary defender. And then, and then by the time Jordan would come into games with the primary defenders, he was then on the floor, usually with someone like Donovan Mitchell. We're seeing it a little bit in some of his splits. As the game goes on, Jordan is struggling. Jordan's shooting 48% in first halves, 38% in second halves. He's shooting 42% from three in first halves, 35% in second halves. He's gone to the line 21 times in first halves and 12 times in second halves. Interestingly, by the way, if you're wondering, like, well, is there any inequality here? He's played the exact same amount of minutes in first and second halves. Exact same, 226. Um, he's taken many more shots in the second half. So when the burden is bigger, he's there. His assist numbers, which have been great all year, is a few more in the first half. Um, and he's, you know, interestingly, he's plus 199 in first halves. He's minus 43 in second halves. Um, he's, by quarter, he shoots 40% in the third quarter, 46% from three. So pretty awesome. That's fine, right? Even though that's in fourth quarters right now, Jordan is shooting 37% and 26% from three. This is a big ask on him. This is not like Jordan Clarkson's not primary, really probably a number one scoring guard in the NBA. That is like those guys are. Woo! <clears throat> so worse, and I think this is where fatigue plays a little bit. I'm not giving, an, like I hate whenever I say fatigue or tired. Oh, it's an excuse. They make so much money. Like I middle finger that one like right out the building. Because one, you're still human no matter what your paycheck is. And two, we're stretching our guys. We're stretching our guys to do more. We're asking Lowry to be a number one offensive option for the first time in his NBA career. It's a lot. And you saw, I thought, in both the Washington and the... um, uh, Tired Brain, who'd we just play? Philadelphia um, game that Lowry was silent for large portions of the game in a way that number one options are not supposed to be silent for large portion of games. You know why? Because he's not used to being a number one option. He's learning. It's development. I think he's doing a great job with it. Jordan's not used to being a number one guard option. Um, we're seeing that. Mike Conley, we're seeing some of the same kind of trends. Like Mike Conley's first half is 41%, second half is 38%, 41% on field goals, 33% on threes. But his late game assist play, fourth quarter assist play... When he's come in the game, late game is unbelievably great. And there's a little bit of weird stuff going on with Mike right now. His off-the-bounce three is way off. I think he was like 0 for 4 again last night. And his off-the-bounce three is now 10 of 40 on the season, if I'm correct. I might have missed one. I could be like within one or two on that. But I think he's 10 of 40 on the season. And Mike was the number two or three off-the-bounce three-point shooter in all the NBA last night, last year behind Desmond Bain. So... That should come back, but that also could be the burden. Like, the burden is real, and that's really the red flag that I see a little bit here on, you know, the offense of fail of the last few games. We have the number one offense in the league, or had the number one offense in the league, according to Cleveland the Glass. I don't think we do after last night. Number three offense overall. Yeah, we're now the number three offense. Boston's running away with offense, by the way. Boston's doing some crazy stuff offensively right now. And Denver is the number two offense in the NBA. Keep an eye on Denver. They're not, neither of those two teams are defending, but their offenses are amazing. And I think Denver's got some rotation things Mike Malone can play with. Just watching them late game, they're, they're, they're beginning to click together. Um, they've got to figure out who's on the floor. They love Bruce Brown, but I don't know he can stay on the floor um, late in games, but he, um, he certainly helps them the rest of the game. Uh, 
So anyway, I just think you're seeing some of this kind of like the schedule, but also the burden of of what's being asked, which is a lot, and why this team's so much fun and doing some things. So those are a few of the red flags. I have a few. I have one or two more little tiny red flag things um, there, but I think the bigger story is development of two or three of our players, and I want to touch on that as we continue um, on today's edition of Locked On uh, Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Uh, today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at betonline.net. Bet online with odds, news, scores, and more for you. All the latest on everything you want to get involved in in the sports world and be active and have a fun night with. You get the latest odds, trends for every professional amateur league out there from football to basketball to soccer to esports. And you love sports podcasts. They're there. We always find the fastest and easiest way for you to get your betting fix. Head to the website today. Or use your mobile to learn more. It's Bet Online, where the game starts. Monday night football tonight's a good one. Eagles and, the, well, it's Eagles and the Commanders. So um, it's the Eagles are the good team. And the Eagles are a 10.5 point favorite. That would be interesting. Packers circle back from their big win to play Thursday against the Titans. They're a three point favorite. In the NBA tonight, uh, there's a bunch of interesting ones. The Warriors are a seven point favorite against the Spurs. The Bucks and the Hawks. Bucks are a four-point favorite, um, have not been playing all their guys and not clicked in. The Suns are in Miami uh, to play in an unnamed building that no longer has a sponsor. Miami is a two-point favorite uh, in that ball game along the way. Who is the MVP odds champion, as I would be so curious. I do not think they have um, the indiv- NBA player futures. They usually have is Who's our MVP right now? Is it still Luka? Giannis is now at plus 275. Luka's at plus 280. Tatum's at plus 450. Steph's at 1,000. Joel's at plus 1,200. Feels like you should go there. Jaws at plus 1,200 as well. Durant's at plus 1,800. Donovan's at plus 2,500 um, for their NBA playoff specials. Um, the championship odds, the Celtics are plus 550, as are the Bucks. with the Warriors at plus 700, and the Clippers at 850. That tells you how wide open the West is. The Warriors are playing badly at plus 700. And the Clippers are at plus 850. Neither of those two teams are playing well, and they are the odds-on favorite at Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, the one or two other red flag items as we just... And red flag's like a funny phrase. Like, what do I mean by that? Like, well, okay, we were 10 and 3 or whatever, <clears throat> and now we're 10 and 5. I'm not like... I just think, you know, like, we're not going to win 60 games, okay? So, like, are we still a 500 team? Probably. Are we better than 500? Maybe. Like, we're playing the game really, really well. And playing it super fun. Everybody talks about how fun we are as a team. And, like, a lot of really big positives. But if you're just analyzing the game and the teams and things like that, here's one of them. We're suddenly allowing a lot of transition. It's really hard to defend well if you allow a lot of transition. And we are not probably built to be a great transition team. But... We're seeing teams get out and run on us, and Boone's got a great comment. We're just not very fast, right? Like, Kelly Olenek's not fast. Larry Markin's not that fast. Like, we're not a fast transition team. This is going to take a huge effort from the team. So, Atlanta was in transition 22% of the time. That's, like, in of that's in the 95th percentile of being in transition. That's a lot. Washington was in transition 19% of the time. That's... In the nineteenth, uh, eighty-first percentile, and Philadelphia was in transition eighteen percent of the time, which is in the seventy-first percentile. That one actually might bother me the most. Last night's transition might bother me more than Atlanta, more than Washington, because it's not what Philadelphia does. And when Embiid was rolling, what Philadelphia wanted to do 
was to go get into the half court and let Embiid roll. But they literally were able to outrun us for just enough possessions last night that it actually really won them the game. That's like my analysis of last night is really that that kind of won them the game. What I, I, Embiid was amazing. I just, like, it's so weird. Because I believe in analytics, and they tell the story. I would tell you last night that as great as Embiid was, he didn't, like, their offensive rating was not unbelievable. Their half-court offense was good, not outstanding. Like, it was good. Um, Embiid was superhuman. But they averaged .93 points per half-court. That's 45th percentile. That's not insane. Um, their offensive rating last night was below league average. They're not a, now. What Embiid did is took the work, one of the like, 29th ranked offensive team without Harden and made it nearly average. That's that's a great performance win. But the Jazz still should have beat that if they had had a decent offensive game. They didn't. They had one of their worst offensive games. And if they had stopped transition, if you actually had them in the half court more, they would have won. The 76ers are in transition on on average 14 percent of the time. Last night, and by the way, if you want to do it without Harden, the five games without Harden, Philadelphia is in transition last, 13.8% of the time. So then you suddenly go to last night, and Philadelphia is in transition 18% of the time. Like, that's a big jump. That's going from, like, 29th in the league to above league average. That's three That's three or four extra, probably three extra possessions in transition, which they averaged 1.3 points on instead of their half-court .9. Like, this gets really geeky, but that three extra possessions is 1.6, three or four extra possessions is 1.6 points. Like, that's the game. That's part of the game. So, we're allowing a lot of people in transition right now, and that is a little concerning. Um, We did, we really did a great job in that middle pack of games against Memphis, who runs a ton, against Dallas, who doesn't run, Um, against Houston who wants to run to stopping teams from getting out in transition. We were really, really good at it. And we largely did that, I think, by offensive rebounding. What's interesting last night is we offensive rebounded and got got beat in transition. I don't believe those two are correlated, by the way. It's a bunch of things in league that you hear people talk about that are not actually related. Like the amount of passes you throw as an offense to being a good offense is actually not related. There's no correlation. There's no correlation between offensive rating and transition defense. Um, so keep an eye out. Let's go to the good news. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker's development as a primary ball handling guard is really interesting. And this goes back to watching Kyle Kuzma the other night and talking to Taylor Horton Tucker in the locker room. When Taylor Horton Tucker plays for the Lakers and when Kyle Kuzma plays for the Lakers, their job is to complement Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Rightfully so. There's not as much as I love to criticize the Lakers. This is this is like not criticizing the Lakers. Like that's their job. As young players, they're going to sit there and we're going to take Taylor Horton Tucker and Anthony Davis and make that, or excuse me, we're going to take Taylor Horton Tucker and Kyle Kuzma and we're going to make them relate their game to how it helps LeBron and AD. And you watch Kyle Kuzma right now for Washington. He's awesome. Oh my gosh, is he awesome. 6'10", bringing it up, doing it all. Awesome. If Washington, by the way, gets Bradley Beal to actually play along and play defense, and you have Washington, you have Kuzma, Beal, and Porzingis, and Porzingis is at all healthy with Hashimura off the bench. That team's good. I kind of think that team's pretty good. Um, 
So we're seeing Jalen Horton Tucker expand his game into realms that are really different. Now he's super aggressive offensively and willing to take the three, and he's not a good three-point shooter, but I think that's fine. We're seeing him play with, as Colin Sexton moves to play more and more minutes with Mike Conley, which has been a fabulous combination. We're seeing Taylor Horton Tucker play with the ball in his hands way more. His assist, he has 20 assists in the last three games. He's done it while only turning the ball over three times. This is great. This guy can drive, get in the paint, do things with the basketball, have a handle at 6'4", 234. He's crazy unique. That's bad English. It's just unique. You can't be, you can't put a qualifier on unique. Um, and he's like, he needs to learn. He's still making mistakes. His shooting percentage is not great. Um, he's actually doing it in less minutes than he got in LA last year. Last year in LA, he was playing 25 minutes a night tonight. This year he's only playing 17, but he's just got such a different role. He's got the ball in his hands. He's making plays. He's got opportunities. It's pretty neat. Same thing with Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton is not a point guard. And this is what, like, this is where Will Hardy's done a really great job with the Jazz. Sexton had the lowest assist usage rate in his first two years in the NBA in Cleveland. Okay, I now watch him play, and I totally understand why. He's just not, it's just not what he is. He's just not a point guard. He is a lightning fast, powerhouse, energy bug, six foot one, bona fide scorer, who at 23 years old can become better on reads, but frankly is just an outrageously great scorer and a super good two-point shooter. Like that floater and that inside two-point game is like, it's really good. He's a 52% career, I think, last few years, three-point shooter. His first year he wasn't good, but after that he is. And Will Hardy's letting him be what he can be. And he's playing with Mike Conley. When he plays with Mike Conley, he's really good. And that's allowing him to be that player that he is. And that's another sign of like just development that's really good. And we're watching Walker Kessler go through his up and downs too, which will be just fun all season long. So we're seeing all of the kind of great things we want to see. Um, two losses in a row. Um, really great performance by Chris Dapson and Bede. Washington made a ton of shots. Our offense got tired. Not disconcerting at all. But you are seeing teams kind of figure out, like they're taking time to figure out how to attack us and what to do. And we're seeing that. All right, Jazz and the Knicks uh, coming your direction tomorrow. We'll dig into some more stuff. Get ready for that one. The Knicks, you know who the Knicks really wish they need could have? Probably Donovan Mitchell. Oh, sorry. Sorry. That was cheap, wasn't it? Oh, but I made you smile to close the show, and that's worth it. Have a great one.